Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, we continue our special Thanksgiving series with Dr. John Newfeld, looking at another great Psalm of David. So let's begin now as we turn to Psalm 37, verses 1 to 9, with a message called, God is Altogether Delightful. I'm reading Psalm 37, 1 to 9. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Psalm 37 contains a great many verses that believers have held as precious over the years. How many have claimed verse 4 as a promise from God? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Or how many have claimed verses 23 to 24? The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The fact is that this psalm contains many precious promises and goes on for 40 verses. We will study it over two broadcasts, but it reminds us of other reasons we have to be thankful. Our God is altogether delightful, and our God protects those who are his own. But did you also know that this psalm is written when David was an old man looking back on his life? I mean, we get that from verse 25. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You know, that would mean that David had lived through so many things. He had defeated Goliath. He he had been persecuted by Saul and treated as an enemy of Israel, even though he was innocent. He became king and won a stunning array of the Lord's battles. He had seen his own son Absalom lead a rebellion against him. In short, David had seen times of wild success and times when evil and sorrow had almost triumphed. And as an old man, he wants to say something about how we can continue to have faith regardless of what we encounter. You know, some of you who are older will remember the Major League Baseball pitcher Dave Dravecki. You know, Dave Dravecki had a good career, first with the San Diego Padres and then the San Francisco Giants. But when a cancerous tumor was found in his pitching arm back in 1986, he was forced out of the game. After treatments and a long comeback, he was back with San Francisco, and in his return in 1989, he was proclaimed as an all-star pitcher who was making a comeback against all odds. He pitched his first game against Cincinnati and won 4-3. He really was back. And then came that fateful game in Montreal against the Montreal Expos. He started out well, pitching a no-hitter in the first three innings, but something was wrong. He began by feeling a tingling sensation in his pitching arm, and then, as everyone who ever watched that awful moment in the fifth inning remembers, he hurled the ball, and everyone heard that loud crack as his humorous bone snapped and his arm broke. And Dravecki fell to the ground, writhing in pain, an arm that was dangling and twisted. That event was played and replayed over and over again on television, and tests later revealed that the cancer was back, and Dravecki's left arm and his entire shoulder had to be completely amputated. 
But Dravecki was a Christian man, and, and like David of old, he had known both wonderful highs and terrible lows. And, and here's what he wrote. Looking back, my wife Jan and I have learned that the wilderness is a part of the landscape of faith and every bit as essential as the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, we are overwhelmed with God's presence. In the wilderness, we are overwhelmed by his absence. Both places should bring us to our knees, the one in utter awe, the other in utter dependence. I think King David would have said amen. He had lived an amazing life in which he writes psalms that seem to be no more than a plaintive cry, and yet, as Psalm 103 so well demonstrates, he could write psalms that seem to do no more than sing praises to his blessed God. And today, I want to take us to the place David takes us, to the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where evil seems to be winning, where wicked men and women seem to be gaining the ascendancy, and where those who hope in the Lord might wonder why it is that God seems to have forgotten them. Today, as persecution against believers is felt in in many places in the world, we might ask why God is allowing their persecutors to have their day in the sun. But the wilderness is also felt in other places. Some Christians who struggle financially don't understand why they struggle. And people who don't honor God sometimes don't. And some Christians who are going through serious illness wonder why they are ill and others who don't know God are in great shape and and living to be 95. Still others wonder why their names are slandered while evildoers seem to come off scot-free. As Teresa of Avila, a Christian mystic from the Middle Ages, once said, God, if that's how you treat your friends, it's a small wonder you have so few of them. Now, that might sound blasphemous, and, and I don't quote it to be blasphemous, only to say that's how it sometimes feels. The wilderness is never a nice place, and when we're in it, we might not feel that there is any reason to celebrate Thanksgiving at all. You know that some of us have this feeling that that being in the wilderness is a sign that, that we're doing poor spiritually, but not so. Being in the wilderness is where God leads us. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God wanted him there, and David knew that as an old man who had seen times when the wicked thrived and when the righteous seemed to fail, had counsel for every one of us today. You know, it's possible to notice as one studies this psalm that it it consists of commands which God gives, and then second, that it consists of descriptions of the situation as we find it. And then thirdly, it consists of promises to the godly. So as we go through the psalm, we're going to notice all three of these factors. Verse 1 begins with a command. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. You'll notice that this command not to fret or to worry or to fuss or to get oneself all worked up with anxiety is is actually repeated two more times in this psalm. It comes up again in verse 7 and then again in verse 8. To fret is to allow an emotion to overcome us. You know, according to Aristotle, we all have a special emotion implanted into our nature that causes us to fret when we witness, in his words, undeserved prosperity. When someone who doesn't deserve it, or when someone who acquires wealth through evil doing prospers, it's not hard to get worked up over the injustice of the whole thing. And here's the first command. Hold your emotions at bay. Neither be anxious nor allow yourself to feel even the slightest touch of envy. And then comes the next verse, and it's not a command or a promise. It's simply a statement of the way things are. It's a statement of fact, a statement if you take the time you're going to observe. Verse 2, 
for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. The longest triumph that wicked people enjoy compared to the length of eternity is but a brief space in time. But we do know this about life. It appears to us to be a very long time, but those who believe in eternity and recognize an eternal progression of time that a million years from now will seem but a short time in duration. That is, if eternity is true, then their time of triumph is as short in comparison as the green grass of the desert, and that's just a fact. Now to verse 3, which again takes us back to a command. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. This, by the way, is a very important command. You will, because of your weakness, have difficulty with the first command not to fret or to envy. And because just like any emotion, the more you concentrate on not having that emotion, the more likely you are to go back to that emotion, you'll have to learn to combat that with faith. You're going to have to consciously remind yourself that God is in control, and you will need to comfort your disturbed soul with that. And the next command that follows is that we must dwell in the land. That is, stay put. Remain where you are. Stay in the place where God has put you, and keep serving Him as He has directed you. Don't make knee-jerk reactions. Remain calm and carry on. That means don't try to run away from your present difficulties. Stay put. Do nothing rash. Do nothing you'll later be sorry for. You know, I love these words by Lawrence Peter. He says, speak when you're angry and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. Indeed, you will. Now to verse 4, which contains both a command and then the first promise in the psalm. Let's view the command first. Delight yourself in the Lord or find pleasure in the fact that you know God. I know that's been our tendency to go to to the promise of verse 4 rather quickly, but please notice that the promise is given to those who keep the command. And when we come back, let's fully grasp what it means to delight ourselves in the Lord, because after all, delighting ourselves in the Lord is what we have been made for. This is another great introduction to another psalm that is loved by so many. Yet we're getting a broader sense of the context in which it was written by a man who loved God above all and had learned to trust Him in all of life. Indeed, trusting God and not letting ourselves become anxious is the first important reminder for all of us. But how do we learn to delight in God in everyday life? Well, Dr. Neufeld shares this insight with us right after the break. The new edition of Truth and Life magazine is available today, and it's a special one. This month, we focus on gratitude, and we include a very personal note of thanks as we remember and give tribute to our recently passed friend and production manager, Rebecca Cron, and she was certainly worthy of our gratitude. We'll miss Rebecca, but we rejoice that she is delighting in God's company today. To receive your free issue of Truth and Life magazine, call 1-800-663-2425 or subscribe online at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfound. Here's a little secret about Thanksgiving. Most of the dissatisfied and unhappy attitudes that we exude are actually an indicator that our values, our priorities, and our deepest longings are somewhere else and not in God. And the command of verse 4 is to keep our heart on God. 
See, I'll never forget when when Dr. John Piper visited my church and preached, he gave a word of counsel to parents of children. He said, moms and dads, the first thing to teach your kids is not to love God, for they might think that loving God is just one more thing that they have to do for God. Teach them above all things to trust God. Be confident God will never forsake you. God will watch over you even during nightmares. God will hold your hand even when you're afraid. Then they will love God. See, have you noticed what a lifelong lesson that is? So that when evil times are upon us, things haven't changed. Keep trusting. David says something very similar. Delight yourself in God. Find pleasure in God. Find God your highest joy. Long for him. See, I don't know about you, but I find pleasure in lots of stuff. Riding my motorcycle, watching football. More importantly, I find pleasure in my family, my wife, my children, my grandchildren. I mean, one of the most pleasurable moments is when everybody's home and they end up talking about everything under the sun and laughing. And and I just sit there quietly and I'm happy. And I say to myself, wow, I'm rich. But God, well, he is your true wealth. Be delighted in his love for you. Overflow with gratefulness that he has saved you and redeemed you and has promised that nothing can snatch you from his hand, that he has removed your sins from you as as far as the east are from the west, and that he is right now preparing a place for you that you will be with him forever. Learn to revel in God and find in him the greatest reason for joy. That will help you not to get distracted by the temporary riches and successes of evil people. You revel in God. Now comes the first promise in this psalm. If you delight in God, he will give you the desires of your heart. I think it right to say that God will implant desires, or God will so shape your heart that you will desire that which is eternal and ultimately delightful. I don't think the psalm is saying that God will give you whatever you want in a, a carnal kind of way, so that if evildoers are gaining in wealth and prominence, you'll gain more wealth in this life. But in fact, you will gain more wealth and prominence in eternity while they are forgotten. Now to verse 5, two more commands, followed again by a promise. Here's the first command. Commit your way to the Lord. Compare this command to the one given in Proverbs 16, verse 3, which is almost identical. There it says, commit your work to the Lord. And that would mean that you dedicate your work to the Lord. Well, so the same is also true for the the pathway you're walking. Live out your life in such a way that you demonstrate that you are dedicated to the Lord. Don't make life's decisions without those decisions reflecting your commitment to your God. Now, the second command, trust in him. That's because there will be times when wicked people who act arrogantly and and unrighteously seem to get ahead. Instead of looking at them, trust God as you obey his way. You know, I can't remember the number of times I've prayed with young Christian women who have said to me, it's so hard to find a Christian man. I remember one woman telling me of of a non-Christian guy who had asked her to live with him. She said, I'm so tempted. I believe I'll never find a Christian guy, and this affords me with some measure of partnership. I remember putting my hand on her shoulder and said, you know, I'm about to pray for you, but but let me offer you a promise. I've never seen anyone ever doing it God's way and then later being sorry about their obedience. But I have seen it the other way around. I've seen disobedience accompanied by bitter regret. Trust in him. Just trust him. Believe it is very best for you when you obey him. He would never give you a command to make you miserable. 
Keeping God's commands doesn't benefit God. It it benefits you. That's why God, who knows what you need, gave you the commands. Trust him. He means to do you well. And then after the two commands, commit your ways to him and trust in him, comes the second promise in this passage. It simply says, he will act. Act. Act how? Well, what has David been counseling us? Don't fret in those moments when evil and injustice seem to prevail. God will act. He will act to judge the wicked, and he will act and proclaim his favor on the righteous. Even though it may seem for the moment that God is doing nothing, you trust him. The time will come when God will rouse himself and he will act on behalf of his own. Now to verse 6, which is completely a promise. It tells us more about how God will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. See, there is no way that God will forget to act on behalf of his own. Don't ever let yourself be tempted to think that the way Asaph thought in Psalm 73 verse 13. You remember he said, In vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence while the wicked prospered. You know, years ago I read through a very large volume entitled The Company of the Preachers, which was a history of preaching and the men who preached over the 2,000-year history of the church. And I was appalled how often the righteous were persecuted while the wicked seemed to triumph. I mean, why, for instance, did the Empress Eudoxia win the day over the faithful preacher John Chrysostom so that Chrysostom was exiled from Constantinople and from the church he pastored? And as I contemplated this injustice in the 5th century, well, I, I thought of the head of John the Baptist being brought onto a platter because of the silly request of a dancing girl. Well, I found myself fretting. But look, God will act. He will demonstrate the righteousness of his faithful men and women. And at noonday, when nothing is kept hidden, he will, as he promised the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3 verse 9, that he will cause their persecutors to bow before them and they will learn, says Jesus, that I have loved you. And with that in verse 8 comes a command that is intended to repeat what was said in the beginning of the psalm. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Stop contemplating how you're going to get revenge on your persecutors. You know, many a man or a woman through revenge has only become as wicked as the man or woman who persecuted him or her in the first place. And then in verse 9, which is as far as we're going today in this psalm in which we have a final promise. For the evildoers shall be cut off but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. You know, verse 9 contains the promise that all believers have. One day, Christ will return. He will judge the world. No one is getting away with anything. You know, imagine living in a world where every crime and and infraction of the law were punished immediately. You're driving down the freeway at 100 kilometers an hour, and someone passes you going 160. And in this ideal world, you wouldn't fret or be angry. You'd say, boy, I feel sorry for that person. They're in a lot of trouble. And sure enough, five minutes later, you pass them, and the police officer is giving them a ticket. Now listen, in one sense, you do live in a world like that. And because we do, find God altogether delightful. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Or as Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
And in the meantime, thank God for his presence and learn to tell God, even if in the present moment you feel denied of justice and wealth and earthly success, say to God, I have you and I will delight myself in you. You are more than enough. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the more that we contemplate you and the more our eyes focus on your greatness and your glory, the more our souls are filled with delight. For whom have I in heaven and earth but you? And we find you to be the joy of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. John, this has been a great message. And it makes me think about the whole idea that you mentioned about trust, just trust in God. But for some of us, that's difficult because of uh, whatever's happened in our life experience or whatever the case might be, that feeling like we're sort of walking off a cliff, not knowing what's below. How do we have the confidence to walk in trust? Yeah, so many of the promises in Scripture are future promises that we have not yet inherited. And we are going to have to learn to take God at his word. Now, we do have some wonderful tools to increase our faith. I mean, the the gift of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, the regular faithful reading of Scripture and the Holy Spirit testifying in our hearts that these things are in fact true. And there are times, I think, Ben, when we're all just going to have to repeat some of the promises of Scripture against what seems to be the the evidence around us, uh, because in the long haul, all these things will be fulfilled. But in the immediate, I mean, God will call us to continue to trust Him. When evil and hardship seem to overwhelm us, these verses in Psalm 37 should be a great source of comfort and wisdom. We do live in a fallen, broken world, but God commands us to continue trusting and delighting in Him and His promises for our good and His glory. I hope that this message has blessed you today as we learn one of the secrets of being thankful, which is to find in God our highest source of joy and delight. Please join us again tomorrow as we wrap up this Thanksgiving series, He Knows My Name, with our final message from Dr. John Newfeld, based on Psalm 37, verses 10 to 40. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. There's never been a more popular ministry resource over the years than our annual Bible reading calendar, and this year will be no exception. So our 2017 Bible scripture reading calendar entitled Defining Moments of Faith is now available. With a theme based on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the calendar depicts and describes many of the most picturesque and relevant locations and introduces some of the most influential people of the period. But the calendar's primary goal remains the same, to guide you through the reading of the Bible in one year using Dr. John Neufeld's unique reading plan. So call and ask for your free copy today as our gift, one per household. Just call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or email your request to info at backtothebible.ca. We only have a limited quantity, so don't be disappointed. Ask for yours today. And later this month, I want to mention that Dr. Neufeld will be teaching a special topical series based on the five solas that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Sola Fide, Sola Scriptura, Solo Cristo, Sola Gratia, and Sola Deo Gloria. In a series entitled Remembering the Reformation, 
So make sure to join us next week for this great new series. And for more information or to order the series on CD for yourself, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.